Welcome to San Diego Sessions. We're here today with bassist and composer Kyle Modell. Listening to San Diego Sessions, San Diego's jazz podcast, featuring local artists, new releases, and more. Here are your hosts, Ian Tordella and Ed Kornhauser. Hello. Good morning. Good day. Good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is for you, because this is a podcast and you can listen to it whenever you like. Welcome to San Diego Sessions. I'm your host, Ed Kornhauser. And I'm your other host, Ian Tordella. And we're here this morning with bassist, improviser, and composer Kyle Modell. Good morning. Good morning. What's happening? Uh, Before we dig into some music, I have our top of the show segment. This is called This Versus That. And these are two musicians and my host, co-host ed kornhauser will have to pick one and only one there is no right answer there is no wrong answer there are only two wrong answers. there are only answers <laughs> just like uh, james comey said there's only two bad outcomes to these questions uh, i can't remember which one i did last week okay first up two uh michelle's michelle camilo pianist versus pianist and composer Michelle Legrand. Oh, I thought you were going to go Petrucciani. I was oh, totally oh, going to go I should have gone Michelle Petrucciani. Okay, he Michelle ma- Camilo versus Michelle Petrucciani. But I also love Michelle Legrand, too. Uh, of the three of them, he's the only one I've actually seen. Michelle Petrucciani? No, oh, I, saw, I saw Michelle Legrand play. Oh, okay. He's ama- I think he's actually still alive, but this was about 10 years ago when I saw him. But I think he's actually still alive. And is an amazing like pianist and wrote all these tunes that became jazz standards. Of your original pairing, and and he kind of has like some Oscar Peterson like chops uh, in his own like he sort of sounds like that a little bit. Of your original thing, I'm going to go with Michel Legrand. There's a really cool YouTube video of him with a trio. I think it might be Oscar Peterson's trio, two pianos. And they're trading back and forth. And there's just this shot of uh, Michelle plays great. And the camera's playing as them focused on Oscar's playing. And then the camera refocuses through Oscar's hands to Michelle's face on the opposite piano, just staring at Oscar, looking just sad and crestfallen and defeated. <laughs> <laughs> like just st- or, or maybe another interpretation is awestruck and wonder, you know, awestruck with wonder because he's just staring at him like, he can't believe what's happening. You know, I, you could tell he was very influenced by his playing. So, <laughs> of your original pairing, I would go with Michelle Legrand, but with the added option of Michelle Petrucciani, I'll go with him because he was incredible. He was he was and and uh, passed far too young. All right, next up, two two masters of rhythm, both named Steve. Steve, <laughs> <laughs> all Steves are masters of rhythm. It just comes with the territory. 
Uh, <laughs> Steve Coleman, saxophonist and leader of M Bass Collective, versus Steve God. Oh man, of course, oh, that's, a drummer. That's an easy one. <laughs> I, what about Steve Miller? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, play some good rhythm guitar. Yeah. Well, maybe I can throw this one to you. I, for me, Steve Coleman. It's just like influenced so much of what's happened recently with rhythm in creative jazz. But Steve Coleman didn't play the drums on uh, on on Paul Simon's uh, <laughs> 50, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the the minute you hear that drum beat come in, you know it's that's uh, sorry, I'm totally off the topic. <laughs> okay, last up. Uh, getting into the modern era, more modern era, guitarist Ben Monder versus bassist Ben Street. Did have they played together? I'm sure they have. I think they have actually. They must have. Yeah, I want to say I, I've seen. A, I have a Ben Monder record that Ben Street is on. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Ben Street, and not just because we have a bassist oh, today. Well, I would have gone with Ben Monder. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ben Monder is the obvious answer. <laughs> there is no obvious there's answer. No, there's, there's, no, no right, there's no right or wrong. They're both bad or both oh. good. Or they're both good. I mean answers. Sorry. That, I don't mean players. Sorry. I mean they're both bad answers or they're both good answers. Actually, I haven't heard, you know, I haven't heard as, mu- as much of Ben Street's own work. But I've, I've heard so much Ben Monder, whether his own stuff or with Donnie McCaslin or David Benny, other people. Or Theo, or Theo um, Blackman too. Wait, yeah. you said Ben Monder, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've I've seen them play. The only time I think I have seen them play live was with Theo Blackman, just the the duo that they have, which is really cool to hear. Um, but I'm still I'm still going Ben Street. I'm 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 holding true. All right, and once again, we're here with bassist Kyle Modal, and we're going to take a listen to the title track from his late latest release, Pangen Drums. Thank you. 
And we're back on San Diego Sessions with Kyle Modal. That was Pangen Drums from the record of the same name, and that featured Tobin Chodos, podcast guest number 19 on the piano, Shell Nordison on drum set and percussion, and Kyle Modal on the upright bass. It's cool to hear the the other side of this record, because as Ian was saying, we, we had Tobin on uh, previous episodes. Mm-hmm. We I listened to the record a little bit, and and then we had to, we got to play a track and talk about it. But it's cool to hear the other side of the tunes that you wrote. Mm-hmm. And so, how did you guys connect as a as a as a trio? Well, I had been playing duo with Tobin for a while before we put this trio together, and I was writing music for that duo. And we we actually had th- this project where, actually, thinking about it is kind of stupid. Um, we were trying to write music and improvise in a way where um, to like push people to ask the question, like what was improvised and what was composed even more than they normally do, because that's something that people ask a lot with kind of like more contemporary jazz or, you know, like free improvisation. I admit I'm, I might have a few questions yeah, like yeah. on my little phone here. <laughs> um, right. And um, I mean, and it's a question that people ask a lot and um, it's fine. Um, so we were trying to like blend that thing and, you know, kind of building off of what a lot of people have done with um, sort of like modular composition where, you know, we knew what we were going to play and we knew there was going to be a lot of totally improvised stuff and we just didn't necessarily know when it would happen. So we worked on a bunch of cues and stuff so that, okay, we play this, we know that we're going into that. Yeah, I I could could hear that listening to it. There are are moments where you're totally free Mm -hmm. and then suddenly you hear a group like sound come out of it, either like a a melodic, a phrase, a melodic line, yeah, something like the left hand of the piano and the bass together, mm-hmm. and it's like suddenly you're you're in time again. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like how did you do? You consider that like a, I wrote a question about this. I wrote this more eloquently, but do you, do you assume do you kind of consider that like a form of like dissonance and consonance in terms of like playing free and then suddenly there's almost seamlessly there comes in like a section that's. Um, I didn't really think of that in terms of dissonant and consonant, just about like how to create structure and form, huh. um, and how to how to you know cue like composed material. But like I mean, form arises in free playing anyways because we're listening and think you know it happens. Things happen in the yeah, moment. Yeah. One interesting odd parallel I was just thinking of you know in Brazilian music and Afro Cuban music there are all sorts of little musical cues and little vocabulary bits they put in, especially mm-hmm. between the percussionists or the percussion and the drum set, that glue sections together. Oh, yeah. Although they, it's not, you know, it's a different genre, but I it mean, appears in all sorts of different yeah, styles of music. I, I mean, this gets to another issue for me where like, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't care what you call it. I just like good music. And I don't care if it's like jazz or classical music or like freely improvised, like the whole genre style thing only kind of exist to sell things exactly that's <laughs> yeah. what we're all about selling yeah. some records well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um you know but like so like i i just play the music that i want to hear and that that changes a lot too you know i know you also experiment with electroacoustic music do you bring electronics into this ensemble or is it strictly um acoustic n- no i haven't dealt with electronics in this group um most of the electronic work that i do is with solo bass things or like different improvised um situations either like music for bass and electronics or sometimes i like built improvising systems i mean other people have done this like george lewis obviously um trying to like 
build a system where the computer interacts with a human player and it's kind of this like feedback loop sort of thing. Wow. But that doesn't really make its way into this music. Um, on occasion, I deal with like algorithmic compositional systems. I actually haven't done that in a long time. For, forgive me, what, what would you call an algorithmic compositional system? Oh, um, well, I, I don't... I don't really do it entirely explicitly, but so for a while I was using a lot of um, like L systems to generate rhythms hmm. or, you know, sequences of like on off kind of things or melodic patterns, you know, and that. And then, of course, I'd, I'd have this thing. And then from there, you whittle it down and use human experience and knowledge to shape these things and make it what you're actually trying to do. Oh. I guess we, I never actually finished explaining how how that trio came together. Yeah. Um. So I I had played with Shell in in a few different kind of like ad hoc improvised groups, and um, I was actually writing a book of music for a different project that didn't end up happening, and I just decided that this trio would work, and we played a few times, and it was cool. Tobin could deal with the kind of harmonic things and the rhythmic stuff I wanted to deal with, and Shell could do that, of course. So it just came together nicely and we started playing and rehearsing that music and it was fun. And uh, you recorded this record, I believe in 2015. I believe so. And then it, it came yeah. out a little bit, a little while ago, late last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think October, 2017. And, and uh, uh, as I erroneously mentioned, this is not your latest <laughs> record. <Yeah>. No. <laughs> uh, what is, I think the, uh, my latest release. latest release is this solo bass cassette that I recorded last june in hartford while i was on tour uh, an actual cassette yeah wow yeah i i did it for this solo bass tour that i did just in march because like kids in the midwest want to buy cassettes oh man so. I, that reminds me i still need my orchid orchid mantis cassette from isaac crow oh yeah <laughs> i have one reserved oh is it is it gold lemay is it i don't know <laughs> i have a copy that has a blem jacket so it's gonna, gonna be a unique jacket because it didn't uh, print out right that's my personal copy. Uh, <laughs> nice. So you mentioned that uh, Shell Nordison, he, he commutes from San Francisco now. Yeah. Um, so you guys don't get to play as often. Uh, are you planning on doing more recording with this particular configuration? Um, I, don't, I don't know. We, we haven't played in San Diego since this record came out. Um, so that's strange. But I have done a bunch of playing and recording with Shell recently. Um, we recorded a trio record with Anthony Davis of music that Anthony and I wrote, um, mostly based off of literature. Uh, we recorded some pieces that Anthony wrote based on Ursula Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness. Um, I wrote some pieces based on like Borges' poetry and um, this Chinese author, Zhang Xue. And then we played some free stuff too and a couple of Anthony's other tunes. Um, and then Shell and I also did a recording and played a bit with uh, David Stackinus, a Swedish guitarist that came mm. through town, plays with like Mats Gustafsson and all of those guys. Oh, okay. And for our listeners, Anthony Davis, of course, is a great pianist, professor at UCSD. What's the meaning behind the title of the record? Forgive me, I'm just curious. Oh, okay. okay, yeah. So the, the meaning... Um, a pangendrum was originally a nonsense word, I think, that was coined by Samuel Foote. I might be wrong. Um, but it's come to mean a number of things. The, the one that I remember most vividly was an experimental weapon that I think the British made in a, 
must have been World War II, which was essentially a giant wheel with a bunch of rockets attached to it with like a payload of explosives at the center that was supposed to like get up over defense lines and, you know, just, but it was a, a rocket powered wheel. That sounds, and it, it sounds was like, way too complicated. <laughs> yeah. And it was a horrible <laughs> failure, but like, it's a, it's a ridiculous it's, idea. It's like um, the, the, the Germans were the ones with the rocket scientists. Yeah. You know, yeah. They, had, they had the V1 and the V2, which were <laughs> cruise missiles and right. were very effective and horrible. Yeah. And the British had these wheels with rockets on them and, it just it doesn't sound <laughs> practical. That sounds like a firework. Yeah, no, exactly. That's kind of what it looks like too. And when, when you look at these like pictures of them, it's quite funny. Huh. Um, and then I think it also now means like a self-important person or bureaucrat. I might be might be wrong on the exact thing of that, but I thought it was funny. So it certainly catches the eye and the ear. Yeah. Um, and so, where can people find this record? Um. It is on my Bandcamp page. You can download it or buy CDs through there at kylemodal.bandcamp.com. So you mentioned uh, while we were just talking, you're uh, you're really into solo bass and doing solo concerts. Yeah, and we're going to hear one of your solo pieces coming up. Uh, but I mean, maybe you can tell us more about the concept. But as I, I listen to some of the stuff, you're not only playing the bass, but almost simultaneously using it as a percussion instrument and just creating mm-hmm. all sorts of different soundscapes in general you yeah. really employ a lot of like the, the various extended techniques available on the upright page. yeah yeah um i mean that, that gets at two things one i i don't like the term extended techniques mm. um <laughs> it's it's very much like this kind of like european idea of like what's extended in relation to the european classical canon but yeah. a lot of this stuff is either like dealing with the physical reality of the instrument or existed in all kinds of traditional music for a long time. And so it's kind of, I, I don't know, extended techniques is kind of a like colonialist term in a way. But um, so a lot of this comes out of the fact that like the double bass is really good at making all kinds of sounds and noise. And I really want to like take advantage of that. I spent a lot of time working on how to transform and get all of these sounds, like pull all of the harmonics out of the bass, do all these multiphonic things, working on kind of like polyphonic techniques, how to layer materials and um, that doesn't necessarily come out in an ensemble context because some of it is by nature kind of quiet or blends in with other instruments. It's also really pragmatic because um, it turns out I kind of write difficult music and it's mm. hard to get people to play it. <laughs> and um, if I do everything myself, that's I don't have to get anyone to do it. And that's I can, very practical. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it it just started happening. And like, you know, I got invited to do a solo bass concert once like years ago before I'd ever really thought about doing, doing this, presenting my own music that way. And then I did it. I was like, Oh, this is something I should work on. Yeah. Um, and then it, it just kind of like developed out of there. And really in the past four or five years is when I really started like developing and honing that. And I think in the past like two years is where it's really gotten somewhere. Wow. Um, I definitely, I, I like what you were saying about extended techniques, uh, cause I've been trying to impart the same thing to some of my saxophone students, like mm-hmm. suddenly like multiphonics or using different registers, there's somehow a wall between like the normal saxophone and then this stuff. Right. And if you think that way, you've, you've already just defeated yourself or you're limiting your palate. Oh yeah. Um, you, you know, <laughs> You well, can't think that there's a break between one area of the instrument and another. Mm-hmm. It, 
it just doesn't make any sense creatively. Right. Um, and, you know, for me, it's it's about sound and really just getting getting out the sound that I want. And I mean, as a saxophonist, you know, this like classical saxophone is a bizarre thing. I mean, and clarinet is the same same way. You essentially have two instruments that are joined together that you kind of try and smooth out. But people aren't taking advantage of it for what it really is. And it's the same thing with strings, right? right? Like classical music, you get this really pure focus sound that kind of tries to eliminate all of the harmonics and noise and all of like the really juicy stuff that comes out of <laughs> out of the bass. And I mean, there's a whole like this this gets into like religion and like classical music and the whole like tradition of how pedagogy developed. But um, you know, that doesn't necessarily exist in other cultures in the same way, like they embrace timbre. Right. I guess, but each each culture does embrace it in a specific in, way. Because oh, yeah. I guess you could say the Europeans embraced a certain timbre yeah. as well. Yeah, but to so. say that that is the, the gold standard of how <laughs> right. this instrument should yeah, sound. Yeah, but it is. is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everyone, every saxophone yeah, player should just sound like Paul Desmond. No, like uh, Marcel Mule. Yeah. <laughs> Who's Marcel uh, Mule? French saxophonist. Oh. He, he like, uh, I think he preceded, he was one of the first guys to play like a Selmer saxophone and he, he was sort of one of the fathers of classical saxophone. Ah, okay. Yeah. I'm not awake yet. I probably have a better explanation for that. But uh, <laughs> but getting back to the bass. Marcel, a Marcel uh, Mule sounds delicious, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the French would be Muel. Oh. But uh, anyhow, um, we've, we've mentioned uh, Mark Dresser on the show mm-hmm. quite a few times, and he's actually been on a few of our clips. But uh, can you talk a little bit about um, working with Dresser at UCSD oh, and, sure. and how his... His concept of bass um, works mm-hmm. with what, what you do on the bass. Yeah. Uh, so I actually moved to San Diego to study with Mark at UCSD and do a doctorate degree um, because I was in Miami playing free jazz and contemporary music and figured, well, if I continue school, there's only one bass player that I would study with. Otherwise, maybe I'll go do composition or something. So I came came to UCSD to work with Mark on that stuff. And... Um, I got here and I felt like I had never had a real bass teacher before. No offense to any of the bass teachers that I had before, but it was just like a different level of thinking about technique and pedagogy. Um, And actually we worked more on playing normal stuff and playing repertoire than improvising. Um, You know, certainly I would, I would bring in like Scotonibio stuff and all of this like contemporary bass repertoire that uses all this stuff and we'd work on it. But um, most of the time we wouldn't actually work on improvising or developing, you know, what what I was doing. He's like, that's something you can work on on your own. I don't want to tell you what to do. Um, but actually, to to go backwards, hearing Mark was probably one of the things that made me decide to really focus on the double bass rather than the electric bass. Mm. Because I started I started playing double bass when I was in college. So I got into, I went to Florida Atlantic University for my undergrad and I was a jazz performance major and I played electric bass at the time. And then I got there and they're like, oh, hey, we'll give you classical bass lessons if you played bass in the orchestra. I was like, sure, I can do that. I can like get more gigs or something. <laughs> and, um, and quickly, like I, you know, I would spend a lot of time practicing and I was like, oh, I, I kind of need to make a choice. Like, which thing do I really want to do because I won't be able to do 
justice to either instrument if I keep like splitting my time between them and uh, the double bass one. And partially because of like hearing Mark play and like reading um, one of his articles on, you know, like harmonics, subharmonics, all, oh, yeah. all these things. Um, and the other, the other bass players in, kind of influential in that way were Jimmy Garrison and uh, Avishai Cohen for both for different reasons, but I I've uh I watched that DVD of Mark's guts yeah yeah a long time ago and when he sort of demonstrates his various techniques on the bass it's it's mind blowing but the the subharmonics was what caught my eye or mm-hmm. ear rather I, when he first did that I had no idea that the bass could do that that absolutely and I and I right. actually went to a bass clinic of his at one mm-hmm. point just to watch him talk even though I don't play even stringed instruments yeah yeah uh but just to watch him do that and. That absolutely blew my mind, and uh, he is—he truly has a has a master's concept of that instrument. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and and he's he's trying to think about it pedagogically as well, how to like present all of this material in in a way that makes sense, and how to really develop it. Oh yeah, there's definitely not a that just because you could do something doesn't mean you could break it down in a way that you can pass on to somebody. Mm-hmm. I. I I found that true. My I studied with Rick Helzer at San Diego mm-hmm. State, and he was amazing at taking these ambiguous, uh, non-tangible concepts in in jazz and like finding a way to impart some of his ideas to me. Yeah. And not everyone can do that. They they can play and say, "Okay, do that," and then not really, yeah, help carry the message across. Yeah, I mean, also he's he's not trying to push an agenda with his students. Like, there's another bass player there, Tommy who's also an improviser. And then really there are bassists coming out of the classical tradition who are doing new music and then some other people in between. Tommy, so, Tommy Babbitt. Tommy yeah. Babbitt, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So let's get into this solo bass track you brought in. This one's called Augur, but um, tell us a little about the the title. Oh, it. so part of the reason I, I chose the title was because depending on how you say the word, it could mean two different things. Um, but so it's written in the sense of like augur as in an augury or, you know, like uh, portents or fortune telling, you know, like scrying, that kind of thing. But it could also be this like wood drilling thing.
I'm Rob Thorson, and you're listening to San Diego Sessions. Listen online, wherever you get your podcasts.
Here's your jazz forecast for May 7th through the 13th. Monday, May 7th, guitarist Louis Valenzuela hosts his regular Monday night jam session at Rosie O'Grady's in Normal Heights from 9 p.m. to midnight. No cover, 21 and up. Tuesday, May 8th, pianist Joshua White brings codes to Jazz Live at the Seville Theater on City College campus, featuring an all-star ensemble of Dean Hewlett on bass, Marvin Smitty-Smith on drums, Curtis Taylor on trumpet, Rebecca Jade and Dwight Tribal on vocals, and spoken word artist Professor Faraha Sabah. Music begins at 8 p.m. Order tickets at 619-388-3301 or listen from home on Jazz 88.3 FM. Also, members can reserve free tickets online at jazz88.org. The Havana Jam, an Afro-Cuban and Latin jazz jam session, kicks off downtown at Prohibition from 8 p.m. to midnight. Wednesday, May 9th, pianist Irving Flores brings his Danzon Jazz Trio to the Rancho Bernardo Library for a free concert from 6.15 to 7.30 p.m. with bassist Mackenzie Layton and drummer Charles Weller. Trumpeter Gilbert Castellanos hosts his regular Wednesday night jam session at Panama 66. Listen to the best jazz San Diego has to offer right in the middle of Balboa Park. Music from 8.30 to 11.30 p.m. Come by early to see the Young Lions play from 6 to 8 featuring up-and-coming musicians from around San Diego. Gabriel Sunday's Apple Brown Jazz Ensemble will play their first show in three years at the Whistle Stop in South Park. Fist Fights with Wolves opens the show at 9.30. Cover is $5 and you must be 21. Thursday, May 10th, the Whitney Shea Trio plays the U.S. Grant Hotel from 8 to 11 p.m. And just across town, check out the jam session at the Ken Club, hosted by saxophonists Robert Dove and Ian Buss. Music from 9 p.m. to midnight. $5 cover, but musicians get in free. You must be 21 or older. Friday, May 11th. Bay Area Trio, Charged Particles, perform at the Handlery Hotel in Hotel Circle from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. with Murray Lowe on piano, Aaron Germain on bass, and John Krosnick on drums. No cover and your parking is validated. The Friday Happy Hour is a regular series put on by Holly Hoffman, so stay tuned for more great jazz. Gilbert Castellanos presents Jazz at the Westgate in the Plaza Bar of the Westgate Hotel. Music from 8 to 11 p.m. Saturday, May 12th. Irving Flores plays solo piano at Maratalia Ristorante on Coronado from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Singer-songwriter Erica Davies is at Panama 66 in Balboa Park from 6 to 7.50 p.m. Also Saturday, Gilbert Castellanos presents Portraits in Jazz, a San Diego Museum of Art series presented in the James Copley Auditorium. Jazz historian Ken Poston will speak at 7.30 p.m. with a concert kicking off at 8, including Christopher Holliday on alto, Robert Dove on tenor, Steve Cotter on guitar, Sam Hirsch on piano, Kevin Canner on drums, and Gilbert Castellanos on the trumpet. Info and tickets at sdmart.com. The Joshua White Quartet pays tribute to Herbie Hancock at Dizzy's, featuring Kamau Kenyatta on sax, Dean Hewlett on bass, and Tyler Crutell on drums. Music is at 8 p.m., $20 cover, and all ages welcome. Vocalist Allison Adams Tucker celebrates Mother's Day at the Westgate Hotel with Melanie Grinnell on piano and Justin Grinnell on upright bass from 8 to 11 p.m. Sunday, May 13th. Pianist Irving Flores plays again at Maratilia Ristorante on Coronado from 12 to 3 with vocalist Kathleen Dugas and pianist Hugo Suarez will take over from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. 
Check out Sassy Sunday with Lorraine Castellanos at the Turf Supper Club from 8 to 11 p.m. Jazz standards for you at one of the oldest piano bars in the city. No cover, and you must be 21. You're listening to San Diego Sessions. All right, we're back on San Diego Sessions, coming to you from Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and also follow us on Instagram's at San Diego Sessions podcast, at San Diego Sessions podcast on the Instagrams. We're also on Facebook. Or if you're a fan of the show, you'd like to be a guest on the show, or you have some destructive criticism, please send us an email, sdsessionspodcast at gmail.com. And of course, uh, go to iTunes and check us out. You could subscribe. Uh, you can leave us a nice review. Uh, <laughs> you can leave us some stars. Uh, and if not, uh, just leave that part alone and just send us hate mail to that email Ian, Ian mentioned <laughs> don't earlier. Don't go to iTunes. Just Never go there. Yeah, if you don't like us, just in- stay away from iTunes. Unless you're writing us a great review. Right. Uh, again, we're back. <laughs> we're back with Kyle Modal. Uh, and we just heard Augur, his solo piece. And then we also heard the track Interiority from the record Ritual, which is a trio of Abby Rader, Kyle Moto, and Drew Cicado. And now it's time for our favorite segment of the week, the San Diego 7 with Ed Kornhauser. We'll get back to that music in a second, but uh, yes, this is the San Diego 7. Mm-hmm. These are seven questions we'd like you to answer from the top of your head and the bottom of your heart. Okay. <laughs> uh, number one, what did you listen to on the drive over here? Oh man, um, it was oh, man. I don't know. I don't know how to say her last name. Julie Share three with uh, John Edwards and Steve Noble. Um, she's a saxophonist, I think, living in London. And I mean, John is a British bass player, and Steve is a drummer from London too. John John John, John Edwards, not yeah. the, not the uh, not the fake. Uh, what's it? Uh, the cold reading dude. No, no, he's a like no, no. improvising bass player, like throws down super hard. And Julie is a fantastic sax player. I'll have to, I'll have to, Julie Scherer or? Yeah, it's, it's K J A E R. Oh, okay. so it's, it's, uh, Swedish, I think. Swedish. So it's like Scher, Shar. Gotcha. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, and the, what is it? The record is called Doppelganger. Cool. Definitely check it out. Sorry, I just meant that. You know, am I getting the name right? John Edwards, that guy who was on TV who would claim to speak to people's dead relatives? I don't know. Oh, you know, I, well, when you head. said TV, I thought um, some like um, TV reporter. No, he's, he would, he would, you know, he does cold reading and he like, it's like, do you have, does anyone in our, in the audience have a, know anything about the name Randy? It's like, was it your grant, you know, doing that cold oh. reading thing and giving people false hope? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's a bad joke. Number two, what was the first album you bought with your own money? Or can remember buying with your own money? Oh, dude, this is super bad. Um, it always I, is. I think I think it was Significant Other by Limp Bizkit. <laughs> yes. I, I was in like second grade. Yeah, wow, that's that, pretty advanced taste for a second grader. Yeah, wait, was it was it second grade? Some it was something like that. Yeah, I mean, I I was born in eighty eight, so that's yeah. That would be the right age. Yeah, yeah. Do you still go back to Limp Biscuit? 
you know every once in a while i listen to that and i just kind of laugh yeah i mean there, there's something there's something about that i don't know but the, the music you like liked when you were a kid there you'll always be sort of connected to it in some yeah, way yeah. yeah you can't totally divorce yourself no from it. no and i mean you just, uh, yeah number three have you ever been starstruck by anybody like somebody you looked up to and or as a musician as it not necessarily as a film star or anything not worth like trying to think i don't think so no, no. There, there there have been like kind of like weird post gig interactions with people but you know that happens with anyone yeah um i think weird post gig interactions is like the hallmark of a jazz concert yeah <laughs> <laughs> everybody has a weird post gig interaction story with some musician yeah number four um and this is uh this is again relating to genres which of course as we've established are only made to sell music but uh <laughs> um what's your favorite genre of metal oh man uh there's so many sub subgenres of metal exactly um, I, I, I should have actually said sub subgenre yeah too, um i don't know if i can list one i've been on a, a black metal kick lately um there's like Bands from Reykjavik in Denmark. I was about to say so, the nor the Northern like, Europeans, yeah. yeah. But there, there are also some like interesting American black metal bands. This band called uh, Kralis, uh, which is like Colin Marston, who's in Behold the Octopus and Gorguts and all of that. I think Mick Barr is also in Kralis. But I mean, I'm big into grindcore and like death metal and all of that too. So, you know, it it goes in waves. Yeah. Oh, Deathspell Omega is this great French black metal band. Oh wow! Yeah, hmm. I when what is it? When I was in undergrad, I always thought of them as like impressionist black metal. It's like what if, what if Debussy made black metal? This is what it would be, kind <laughs> of. Um, that's okay. that might be a bit off now that I think back on it, but that's how I felt then, and it, it's still like pretty cool. I gotta check that out. Actually, yeah, I've got listing recommendations. I have the day off today, so and I have listing recommendations. <laughs> now, now you can so. finally get into metal. And I know. This is the time. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm pale yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You are. You need yeah. some tattoos. <laughs> I know, exactly. I had the wrong hair color. Um, number five, this is this versus that, kind of like at the beginning. Mm -hmm. This versus that. Avant-garde saxophonist and founding member of the Art Ensemble of Chicago, Roscoe Mitchell, or trumpeter and member of the Horace Silver Quintet, as well as Ray Charles' band, uh, Blue Mitchell. Roscoe. Yeah. I, I thought that was sort of a softball, but I thought what the, what the what the heck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like Blue Mitchell. Oh, he's no, he's yeah. he was great too. Yeah. Did, I or you could have. Where was Red Mitchell? I could have gotten Red yeah. Mitchell. Yeah, I could have gotten Mitch Mitchell and gotten uh, the drummer for in the Jimi Hendrix experience, oh, yeah. right? Oh, Mitch Mitchell. Oh yeah. The double Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Matt Mitchell. Who's Matt Mitchell? Oh, the pianist, keyboard player. Oh wow. I do not. Oh man, dude, you should check him out. Seriously, uh, he plays with Tim Byrne. Uh, he's in the band Snake Oil with uh, Tim Byrne, Ches Smith, Oscar Noriega. Um, what is it? I think he was playing with Rudresh Mahanthapa a bit. Check him out. Matt Mitchell. All right. I got three. I got three <laughs> things to listen to today. Um, you got, did you get to perform with Roscoe Mitchell at some point? I did. Um, was it a year or two ago? Hmm. Uh, he was at UCSD and did stuff. Um, I've actually been... I asked him... like. Did you write music for solo bass? I'd love to play it. And he sent me a solo bass piece that I've been working on. I, I've played uh, on a few concerts. Um, I do like outreach concerts at um, like senior 
centers every now and then. So I played it on that and a few other things. Wow, very cool. Uh, this is another this versus that, and this deals with internet uh, text speak and hashtags, and I clearly don't know what I'm talking about, but I, I found this online <laughs> last night. This versus that, hashtag MOTL, my one true love, or hashtag MOTL, more on this later. Apparently that's a real, or maybe it's not hashtag, but it's, you know, it's like internet things. You know, Whoa, you, I did not know about this. Yeah, um, but, it, but it's spelled M-O-T. I mean, it looks, it's all caps. Right. Whoa. I know. Your name is... Uh, uh, is probably is, more on this later. I don't even know what to do with that. Your name is yeah. trending. <laughs> <laughs> so I just found that randomly. <laughs> well, usually it's like a misspelling of motel or people people say Kyle Motel or whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be a great album name. Yeah. Oh, or according to, uh, <laughs> to UrbanDictionary.com. Yeah. Uh, and one of the definitions of of MOTL was a cheap motel. I'm staying in the motel. Oh shit! <laughs> well, it's, it's spelled that way, but yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Um, yeah. And and number uh, number seven. And this is uh, this is just a free form. Just interpret this as as you will. Publix with an X. Oh, it's with a question mark after it. Yes. Is this because I'm from Florida? It is, actually. Ah, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I think Trader Joe's is better. Fair play. I thought it was a band. Public, yeah. <laughs> I, he, know, I don't he, know what yeah. you guys are talking about. Yeah. It's it's mostly in the South, but it's yeah. mostly in Florida. Uh, I mean, it's all in the South, sorry. It's, it's, it's in the in South, yeah. yeah. But um, it, I think it's largely in Florida. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all right, you know. That's it. <laughs> no, that's uh, fair. That's fair. It was that, random. Well, <laughs> that was the San Diego 7 with Ed Kornhauser and Kyle Modell. Uh, so right before the jazz calendar, we heard a, a cut from uh, from Raider Modal Cicado from that the record Ritual. But um, maybe we can dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so how did, how did you first hook up with Abby Raider? Um, okay, so this I met Abby... After I finished my undergraduate degree and I was, I was moving from like Fort Lauderdale to Miami and I was about to start my master's degree. And I think he actually called me while I was like driving the last like car of my stuff down to the new place I was moving to in Miami and was putting a quartet together and wanted to, and asked, asked me to play some, some, somewhere along the line, someone recommended me. And, um, the first thing he told me was he's like, I hate playing with bass players. That 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 sets it up right <laughs> yeah, nicely. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, he's like, but I'll give it a shot, right? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. And yeah, no, it, it's it's great. I was like, um, but it ended up like this has become, I think, my longest, like consistent musical collaboration. Um and I, th- I think, like, irreversibly changed my musical trajectory. Um, I don't think I would be here if, I mean, here in San Diego right now, if I hadn't started playing with him. So, you know, I came over to his house and his, you know, when we played. And then we kept playing and started doing gigs, recording. Um, this was in Florida? In Florida. In, yeah, he, li- he lives in Coral Springs, which is kind of like by Boca Raton, Fort Lauderdale. Um, and so we'd play down in Miami a lot. We did a, a handful of records. I, I just recorded a new record with the, like, kind of like the West coast version of this group with 
Drew Cicado and Peter Kuhn back in, I forget if it was February or January now, but I actually just finished mixing that yesterday. Oh, wow. I was going to oh, ask if, if yeah. how the mixing was coming. That's yeah, great. yeah. No, um, that's that's good. I mean, pretty minimal work, actually. Um, but yeah, no, it's been it's been great. And Abby, I think, is really the last person alive who plays the way that he does like really coming out of that elvin jones rashid ali post coltrane sort of thing um that's really what he's about this kind of like sort of energy music thing which is still like melodic and linear but not in the like jazz standard sort of way but it's definitely jazz you know, it's it's yeah. free jazz. It's not free improv, and it's not playing tunes. It's you know, but I, it, it comes out of all all of that stuff. Huh. I never understood what uh, Rashid Ali was doing until I actually saw him live and saw him do it, and then it it sort of all made sense to me all at mm-hmm. once, and just the the energy and the whole the whole vibe and the communication of it yeah. live, it. it I don't know. I'm losing well, my train of thought. <laughs> people call it energy music, yeah. right? And I there's a reason to that. It's like, I mean, music is working with energy and like this stuff is like really projecting in a certain way. And Abby is also um he does martial arts and tai chi, qigong and all of that. Um and he really brings that kind of thing to the drum set. And so his idea of pulse and time is this circular energy thing where he like he's I mean, Milford, Gra- Milford Graves says this too. Like, I don't like eighth notes, right? The idea of this kind of constant eighth note thing. He's like, that's not what this music is about. It's about how this circular thing is moving and shapes. And like, man, Abby swings harder than anyone else I've ever played with. Granted, he doesn't he doesn't play that way too often. Well, yeah. Sorry, that's that's a bad bad way of phrasing it. Because when we play, it's swinging, <laughs> but not not in this like overt way. But when he wants to, he can really lay into that kind of thing, and it's it's powerful. I mean, but his his circular thing, there's so much going on there. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I saw the trumpet player Hugh Rangan. Hugh, yeah. Hugh Rangan. I I saw him play, and they were doing more of a, a straight ahead thing. I think it was like a bebop tune or something. And he started out just playing intense, like almost post bop. That was just mind-boggling mm-hmm. and then he kind of just deconstructed it chorus by chorus until he was like like you said almost just he's just taking like blocks of energy and just pushing them around in different places mm-hmm. in context of the group and it, yeah i mean it was amazing it was great <laughs> so that style of playing is is so interesting when you see people just straddling like the whole tradition at yeah, the same yeah. time um well, I mean, and with with Abby, we've played and recorded with Kid Jordan a few times. Do you guys know him? I, I you don't. should no. if you don't. Um, no. <laughs> he's a saxophonist that lives in New Orleans, and I believe he taught the Marsalis kids. Oh, but wow. um, you know, he he's this guy that really like straddles all of the stuff because he's playing like with William Parker and with Abby and all of this stuff. He has like records with Peter Kovald and Alvin Fielder, but also like you know, does the super straight ahead thing and huh. does all of it really well. Probably plays a lot of traditional New Orleans stuff. If too, your nickname is kid, you have to play straight ahead. Yeah. That'd be good. At- <laughs> you know, like kid Ori. Oh, <laughs> uh, 
how did you connect uh, you and Abby connect up with Drew Cicado? Um so we uh Abby and I had the kind of quartet and trio things that we were doing in Florida. And then I moved out here and so I tr- I got him some gigs out here. We didn't bring the horn players from out there. Um and I had been playing with Drew a lot here in San Diego and I was like, "Well, why don't we do this and at first he wanted to do a quartet so then i'd been playing with peter kuhn and nathan so we brought peter in nathan nathan uh, hubbard nathan yeah. hubbard who's also a former podcast guest yeah um so we we did that uh that group with uh, the first west coast quartet so-called album uh, was the first meeting with drew and peter um and so yeah it was just based on like i was like well this is who i think we should play with and you know, it worked. And then, so we did, we did one record. We played some gigs. Abby came back a year later. We did the trio record, which, um, is the track we just listened to is from, from that. Um, I, let's see, I forget exactly why that ended up being trio instead of, instead of quartet. I think, I think Peter might've been sick, but so we, we did that. And then, um, yeah, just earlier this year did another quartet record. So in terms of um we were discussing earlier about like as the listener knowing what's preconceived, what's mm-hmm. and then what's entirely improvised on the spot. Yeah. Um how how much of it is sort of thought out or in what ways are, are like things um I mean preconceived with, or with Abby it, with Abby we don't talk about anything before we play, we just hit. Um but you um, know, like you're your experience and all of the things that you've ever worked on, you know, come, come to the fore in this stuff. So it's not like we're just like randomly doing stuff. Um, you know, people, people get these like weird ideas about, about that stuff. Um, and another thing that people don't talk about too frequently is anytime you're improvising with people, there are all of these kind of like rules and assumptions that are made that you don't necessarily talk about that are like kind of like unspoken. Like, so if we're doing, you know, this stuff with Abby and Drew, we know how we're going to play stylistically. Like that's, that's set, you know, you know personally because you've played together. Because well, we've played together and there's kind of like an aesthetic understanding of where, where things are going to go. But we don't, we don't say, okay, well, we're going to do this. Usually it's, well, we might be like, okay, we'll do a ballad or like this one's going to burn, but usually we don't even talk about it. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Okay, I was curious. I was curious because with um, with the panjandrums, yeah, panjandrums, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, what's your record? I want to get it right. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- that you you do have you have some elements more elements of structure. In oh that well, that, I mean, yeah. there's stuff in there that is entirely composed. Yeah, right. And so um, mixed in with moments. of Yeah, yeah. So the freedom. the tune "Nothing But Panjandrums" starts with, um open improvisation based on a set of like cells and melodic and rhythmic figures. Then there's a cue that starts the main theme, like ding, gong, 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 ding, gong, gong, ding, From there, then there's, it transitions into another thing, which goes to open improvisation. There's another figure that cues the next section. Um, it's this like five, five, 16 pattern. And then that goes into ding, oh wait, ding, 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 But there's still a lot of room for freedom and creative and improvisation, even with over 
Oh, oh, oh yeah. Even even over that, there there are melodies written over that. There, then there's a transition into another uh, seventeen sixteen part after that, um, and then there's more improvisation, and then it goes back to wow. the main theme. Wow. Um, but it's it's very hard to to you're listening, and then suddenly you your ear catches that oh there's something yeah, going yeah. on that the group is doing as a, as a unit. Whereas the trio, it is entirely improvised. So you're just hearing yeah. th- three people. Um, listen listen and vibe off each other yeah it's very it's it's a it's a very different experience but equally as cool i was yeah yeah i mean there you know i don't think there's no one right way to go about doing things and every method has its you know things like i wouldn't i wouldn't bring music for abby to to play like that yeah like that's not the situation for that right i i mean i don't know where he stole this quote from but charles mcpherson told me, uh, he, he said, you know, improvised music should sound like it's composed and composed music should sound like it's improvised. Oh, yeah. yeah well, that, I, is, man, every, I mean, you don't have to stick to that, but that's yeah. such a great saying, you know. Well, yeah, and I, man, I've, I've heard so, so many people say that. And I, I think it's, it's kind of a, a truism, right? You don't want your, the stuff that you've planned out to sound super stiff, right? It should sound flowing. But if you're improvising something, it should be structured. Right on. Well, we're going to hear one more track, but before we take it out, I wanted to mention to everyone that you're appearing on Friday the 11th at UCSD's University Art Gallery, and mm-hmm. that's going to be a solo. solo it's going to be a right? solo concert. Um, I'm playing some music of mine, and also um, music that does involve improvisation in some way by Caroline Louise Miller and Sophia Gubaitalina. Wow. Okay. And then you're also appearing on the gig we've mentioned before on June 9th and 10th, trumpeter Peter Evans is going to be a guest with the La Jolla Symphony, and you're part of that ensemble, and you're playing an arrangement of Lonely Woman that Tobin Chodos mm-hmm. has yeah, been we, working on. We heard that about we heard about that on uh, when he was on the podcast mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to take it out with one more track, and this is from the Seabark Ensemble, which is a, a departure, another departure from some of your other groups. This mm-hmm. combines improvisation and traditional Persian music. Yeah. Um, so this group, I mean, they, they started playing together in Iran. Um, and then Hessam and Nilufar both moved out here independently of each other, uh, met here again, and then ended up at UCSD studying composition. Um, that's where Josh Charney and I started playing with them. Uh, and yeah, we just like, we had heard each other play and thought it was cool. And then, Trying to figure out how to make that work together. Well, very cool. Let's uh, let's check it out. This tune. What's the title? Of this oh, tune. This is the tune. This tune is Azal. Azal. Um, the poetry in it is from a poem by Omar Khayyam. Um, and this is actually a tune that I wrote like seven or no, eight years ago. That happened to work really well for this group. Wow. Well, let's check that out. And again, our guest has been Kyle Modal. Kyle, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Chatting for with me. us, taking taking us out of our comfort zone <laughs> this morning. <laughs> but yeah, thanks and come back. I know you're uh, always mixing and producing, recording, composing a lot of stuff. So we'd love to have you back anytime. Sure, be fun.
هرچه هست جز باهود بدست چون هست به هرچه هست نقصان و شکست انگار که هرچه هست در Listening to the San Diego Sessions podcast, brought to you by Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. Please subscribe now on iTunes or listen online at dirtyboulevardrecording.com. Theme music composed by Ed Kornhauser, performed by Ed with Grant Fisher guitar, Harley Magzino bass, Ian Tordella saxophone, and Charles Weller on drums. If you'd like to be a guest on San Diego Sessions, please contact us. All musical selections are used by permission of the artist. San Diego Sessions is engineered and produced by Ian Tordella at Dirty Boulevard Recording Company.